0: <laughs> it's 12 past 3.
1: So we're doing Sacramento tonight. Yes. All right, just want to make sure I'm on the right page. Yeah. Quick recap on that. This goes back to me having a dream about we were going to do not a live broadcast, but recorded live in front of a studio audience, I guess.
0: Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah.
1: And in the dream, we were talking about what we should talk about during the recording. And I brought up Sacramento for whatever reason. Yeah. So now we're doing an episode about Sacramento. Real quick, though. I did promise I would give you an update on my journey to becoming a psychic.
0: Yes, I was going to ask about that.
1: Oh, were you? Okay, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So this stems from I'm reading the book. Obviously, I told you that. Yeah. The first step in the book, before you can really progress any further, is practicing meditation in order to quiet the mind Of the day to day noise and become mindful so that you can become more aware of the intuitive parts of your brain. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Can't argue with that.
0: It's hard when you have a hard time meditating. It's going to be a really difficult step.
1: Yes. (laughs) Well, luckily, I've been doing meditation for quite a few years. Yeah. Not constantly, but I'm familiar with it enough. So hopefully that won't be such a big learning curve. Yeah a little bit ahead of the game, but now I have to get more serious about it so I can get through that first learning process before I can move on to the next step. Yeah. And I'll let you know how it goes. Okay. Either way, meditation is always a great practice. Can't argue with the Buddha. No. Well, one thing that did jump out at me while reading the book, it reminded me of what you were saying previously about going with your gut feeling or intuition When a situation or person doesn't feel right. Yeah. People do have intuition, some more than others. Yeah. And it seems reasonable that you can become more intuitive. Yeah. And hopefully that is through meditation, mindfulness, and we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so
0: let's get on with it. Sacramento,
1: what do you have tonight?
0: So I'm going to talk about one of the most infamous serial killers in Sacramento, Dorothea Puente. Never heard of her. I think that's how that's how I heard it's pronounced. It could be wrong. We'll go with that. That's going to be like some of the names in here. I've tried We know how we or yes. we know how I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we both are. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible with names. <laughs> but I'm trying. That's all we can ask.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Dorothea was born January 9th, 1929, in San Bernardino County to two alcoholics. Both parents abused her, and she would often have to scavenge for food. Jesus. Her father died when she was four, and her mother died when she was six. Wow. She was sent to an orphanage until relatives from Fresno, California could take her in. Dorothea married in 1946 but her husband died within two years of a heart attack. She tried to forge checks when she was struggling with money, but was caught and ended up spending six months in jail. Soon after, she was impregnated by a man she barely knew and had a baby girl that she ended up giving up for adoption. In 1952, she married a man named Axel Johansson, and the marriage ended up being a 14-year-long violent marriage. Wow. Talk about a rough life. Yeah. In 1960, she was arrested a couple times spending 90 days in the Sacramento County Jail for vagrancy. She often got involved in miscellaneous illegal acts that over time would become more serious. Her legal activity did end up slowing down when she got a job as a nurse's aide for disabled people and the elderly in their homes. After some time, she started to manage boarding houses. In 1966, her and Axel divorced, and then she married Roberto Puente in Mexico City. Their marriage only lasted two years due to Roberto's inability to stay faithful.
1: How did she end up down in Mexico City?
0: I have no idea. (laughs) Dorothea Puente took over a three-story, 16-bedroom care home at 2100 F Street in Sacramento, California, where she provided care to the homeless. After some time, neighbors started to notice odd activities. A homeless alcoholic man, only known as Chief, was made to be Dorothea's handyman. She had Chief dig in the basement and take soil and rubbish away in a wheelbarrow. The basement floor was covered in concrete Chief then took down the garage in the backyard and put fresh concrete there as well. But soon, Chief mysteriously disappeared. Yikes. In 1976, Dorothea married a man named Pedro, who was an alcoholic and physically abusive, and it only lasted a few months. She started spending time in local bars using older men who were receiving benefits. She forged their signatures in order to steal their money, but of course she was caught and ended up being charged with 34 counts of treasury fraud.
1: And how much time did that get her?
0: It did not say, actually.
1: Was she still at the boarding house?
0: The home that she... For
1: the home for the homeless? Yeah. In
0: 1981, she started to rent an upstairs apartment, at 1426 F Street in downtown Sacramento. This was where the murders were and not the previous house, for clarification. Allegedly, that's what was told. In April 1982, a 61-year-old, Ruth Monroe, started to live with Dorothea in the apartment. Soon after, Ruth died from an overdose of codeine and Tylenol. Dorothea had told the police that Ruth was depressed due to her husband being terminally ill, and police believed her and the death was ruled as a suicide. A few weeks later, police returned when a 74-year-old pensioner named Malcolm McKenzie accused Dorothy of drugging and robbing him. On August 18, 1982, she was convicted of three charges of theft and sentenced to serve five years in jail. While in jail, she started to correspond with a 77-year-old retiree living in Oregon named Everson Gilmouse. A pen pal friendship developed, and when she was released in 1985, after serving just three years of her sentence, he was waiting for her in a red 1984 to pick Their relationship developed quickly, and the couple was soon making wedding plans. <laughs>
1: Unbelievable story so far. <laughs> Bizarre.
0: Yeah. A joint bank account was opened up and paid $600 a month rent for the upstairs apartment at 1426 F Street in Sacramento. In November 1985, Dorothea hired Ismo Flores to install wood paneling in her apartment. He was given $800 for his work. But Dorothea also gave him a red 1984 pickup in good condition, which she claimed belonged to her boyfriend in Los Angeles who did not need it.
1: <laughs> Roro.
0: <laughs> Dorothea then asked Flores to do one more thing build a box six feet by three feet by two feet to store, quote, books and other items. <laughs> End quote. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. She then asked Flores to transport the filled and nailed shut box to a storage facility. He agreed, and Dorothea joined him. On the way, however, she told him to stop while they're on Garden Highway in Sutter County and to dump the box in the riverbank.
1: And he was still not suspicious?
0: He questioned why, but she just told him that it was a box full of junk, <laughs> which still makes no sense. Yes.
1: That coffin that you built me <laughs> and I nailed shut just has junk in it, so just toss it out yep. at the river. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: A fisherman spotted the box on January 1st, 1986, sitting around the bank of the river and mentioned it to the police. Investigators found a badly decomposed and unidentifiable body of an elderly man inside, who was later identified as Everson Gomouth three years later.
1: Not to give anybody ideas, but you're not that far from the ocean. How lazy do you have to be? (laughs) You can't tell me that for all the things she's managed to do throughout her life, that she couldn't have managed to get somebody. To loan her a boat. Yeah. And go out in the ocean and dump that box. Yeah. But she just threw it over on a riverbank.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to know would he get in trouble? Like if he didn't know what it was? I wouldn't think so. Cause that would suck. Yeah. You like
1: your fingerprints are all over it. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Cause you built the box. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Imagine you'd have some explaining to do. Yeah. She still collected Everson's pension and wrote letters to his family saying he had not contacted them due to being ill. She also maintained a room and board business taking in 40 new tenants, most of whom were alcoholics and drug addicts. She was making a good profit, but of course she wanted more, so started to cruise bars looking for new customers.
1: New customers? (laughs)
0: <laughs> you want me to say people? No, no, no. <laughs> well for the victims b- the room and board though <laughs> no, not <laughs> I know, I know. every month dorothea collected all the tenants mail before they saw it and gave them only a small amount of their money the tenants would use what little money they had at the nearest bar while dorothea took the rest of their money On November 11th, 1988, police found the body of Alvaro Montoya buried in Dorothea's lawn. He had schizophrenia, and after he failed to show up to meetings with a social worker, they reported him missing. Police arrived and searched the property to discover recently disturbed soil, and seven bodies were eventually found. Wow, yikes. At first, Dorothea was not considered a suspect. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But as soon as police let her out of sight, she fled to Los Angeles. She visited a bar and talked to an elderly pensioner who recognized her from the news and called the police. She was charged with a total of nine murders, convicted of three, and was sentenced to two life sentences.
1: How could the police not keep an eye on her? It was her property, right? Yeah. So, did they ever discover a Chief?
0: Not that I know. Not that I'm aware of.
1: So, he might still be buried up there somewhere.
0: In 1998, Dorothea began corresponding with Shane Bugby. Oh God. It's not going where you think it's going. Okay. <laughs> Who did an extensive interview with her over the course of several years. She began sending him various recipes, and the 2004 book, Cooking with a Serial Killer, was released. Oh, my God. Yeah, at first I thought she was going to figure out how
1: to con somebody from inside jail.
0: No. Well, I mean, technically she did, because she got a book out of it.
1: Yeah, true. Yeah. That's crazy.
0: It included a lengthy interview, almost 50 recipes, and various Pieces of prison art sent to Bugby by the convicted murderer.
1: So who got the profits off the book?
0: I don't know. Well, I hope not her.
1: Well, yeah, I, I think not or hope not. Not sure how much she could use it in jail. Yeah. But even though if she could use it or give it to somebody, she doesn't deserve anything.
0: Yeah. She continued claiming she was innocent and saying the tenants had died naturally all the way up until she died at the age of 82 in 2011. They died naturally and buried themselves? Hey, I didn't say that (laughs) serial killers make sense all the time.
1: I'm sorry, did she get busted for the guy in the coffin that they threw in the river?
0: Uh, He was considered a victim, yeah. One of her victims.
1: How would she explain that? Or is she saying that, they just died naturally, and she was just getting rid of them because she didn't want to. I uh, it makes no sense. Makes no sense. Her <laughs> her you
0: life know how story. They are. <laughs> yeah,
1: her life story makes no sense. Yep. Horrible. Sad. Yeah.
0: That is all I have.
1: Okay, that was a lot. A lot to absorb. Crazy, yeah. crazy, as,
0: crazy. As it always is with serial killers.
1: Yes. That was more than. I don't know. Her life story was wild. Yeah. And all the shit she got away with.
0: Yeah. I want to know how it started off with forging checks to murder. Yeah. Like, that just seems so odd.
1: Yeah, who knows what triggers people to take the next step and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I... that,
1: That's a big step from forging checks to being a serial killer. Yeah. But I guess if she's figuring out ways to get money and she figured out that she could do that and still get the money, I'm assuming she was still getting their money and stuff, their pensions or whatever. Yeah. Crazy.
0: Anything else? No, that's it. What do you have tonight? Hopefully a little bit of a lighter story.
1: Yeah, I think so. I decided to talk about Sacramento's historic city cemetery which is also known as Old City Cemetery, Mm. and is the city's oldest cemetery. Oh, really? Yes. Originally, I kind of skipped over this, but then there was an interesting side story associated with the cemetery. Yeah. So I thought I would just talk about it all.
0: Is it really a lighter story if it's a cemetery we're talking about?
1: Well, <laughs> I guess in terms of the stuff that we talk about, it's lighter than...
0: <laughs> yeah, than the previous story. Yes,
1: but not by much. Yeah. I, okay. As always, I'll go over the history, talk about the hauntings, and then the interesting side story I mentioned.
0: History is interesting. No?
1: Being sarcastic?
0: No, I'm not... <laughs> I'm being like honest. Okay.
1: And if I was boring you, that
0: would have been really rude if I was sarcastically saying that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The cemetery was established in 1849 on 10 acres of land donated by Sacramento founder John Stutter Jr. and grew over time to as much as 60 acres. But some of the land was eventually sold. Graves moved to accommodate new road construction, and it is currently on 44 acres. Hmm. It is believed that about 600 bodies from the Asiatic cholera epidemic that hit Sacramento in 1850 were buried in the cemetery in a mass grave. The epidemic killed 800 to 1,000 people in less than three weeks. The remainder of the victims were buried in another cemetery, but that cemetery was prone to flooding, so the graves were eventually moved to City Cemetery in another mass grave. Hmm. In 1852, a monument was erected for the victims, but was not placed in the location of the mass graves because nobody could remember exactly where the mass graves were located. That's sad. That's sad, and it's also kind of odd Yeah, that only two years had passed, yet nobody could remember where those graves were.
0: Yeah, that's weird.
1: The sadder part was it is believed that dirt was pushed over the mass graves to make room for additional plots. Oh. Yeah. Once the cemetery was filled... As the decades passed and the living no longer remembered the people who were in the cemetery, so kind of a forgotten cemetery, it became neglected and succumbed to vandalism. In 1986, a group of citizens formed the Old City Cemetery Committee, the Old City Cemetery Committee, (laughs) To get government and volunteer assistance to restore the cemetery, along with the assistance of the Sacramento Historical Society. In 2003, the committee became a nonprofit support group to continue the restoration and maintenance of the cemetery, and the cemetery is now listed on the National Historic Register of Historic Places as of 2014. It is now locked and secured at night to minimize vandalism.
0: As it should be. Yes.
1: Some notable hauntings. William Brown was a railroad engineer that was supposed to be a hero that saved a bunch of people during a railroad accident. Hmm. But in a quick search, I couldn't really find anything on that. Reportedly, he was seen after his own funeral procession. And is occasionally seen in his civilian black suit standing by his grave. Uh I wonder what's going through a ghost's head if they're standing staring at their grave.
0: Probably weirded out. Like, why is my name on this grave? (laughs) WTF? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like, you know, if you're standing over your body... That would also be a WTF moment. Yeah, (laughs) but would you even believe? Like it's just a name on a gravestone.
1: I don't know. I'm just wondering. That's weird. Yeah. There's reports of a black dog that will follow visitors around the cemetery. Aww. Yeah, and then disappear. No, I want to. Well, I don't
0: want to go to a cemetery because that sounds bad. But I want to meet the dog.
1: (laughs) Well, it looks like a nice cemetery to visit. Yeah, and they've really. It looks like they've done a really nice job. Yeah. Renovating it, I guess you would say, if that's the right word. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Revitalizing it? I don't know. Yeah. Revitalize a (laughs) cemetery? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Whatever word fits. Yes.
1: A male and female dressed in black are seen walking together around the cemetery.
0: They're all dressed in black. Were they like... Actually <laughs> buried there, or are they the ones that attended the ceremonies? Maybe
1: they were buried in black back then. I didn't get it. It is an old cemetery, so maybe they were buried in black back then. Yeah. I don't know. This next one's kind of weird to me. A psychic said there was a fireman that stands by the main gate and tries to talk to people who pass, trying to ask them about his family and gets frustrated when the people can't hear him.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: Sad, but just I don't know, kind of, kind of weird thing.
0: How do they know that he's trying to ask about his family if they the came? psychic? Oh, I had
1: the same. I had the same thought run through my head. Okay, and then it was like later on I read it was a psychic who said this.
0: Okay, okay, sorry.
1: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> there are also reports of various shadows and apparitions moving around and wandering around the cemetery.
0: Yeah, just the usual.
1: Yes, the usual. I read that in the cemetery's history, there have been seven people who have died in the cemetery. Oh. Yeah. Just a few I found noted. In 1870, a painter from San Francisco, John Gray, whose business was failing, was visiting his wife's brother's grave. Kind of weird, but he committed suicide by poisoning while he was visiting there. Oh. Graveyard workers found him around 9 or 10 that night and took him to the cemetery chapel where he eventually died.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. In
1: 1893, Andrew Larson, a worker on the mortuary chapel, which was under construction, was crushed when the roof collapsed.
0: Oh.
1: And Joseph Griffith, a Southern Pacific Railroad man, was visiting his wife's grave. She had died 13 months earlier. He was visiting with his mother-in-law and five-year-old daughter and fell over on his wife's grave and died of a heart attack. Oh. The most visited grave is probably that of May Hollister Woolsey. That's a hard name to say. (laughs) Yeah. Just shy of her 13th birthday. Oh. Oh. May fell ill and died of encephalitis in September of 1879. Hmm. It is believed that the encephalitis was from the measles, but there was also speculation that it was the result of a mosquito bite. Oh. There were a lot of different stories about the parents contacting a psychic to try and reach out to May, which would certainly be understandable. Yeah. But the stories of whether that happened and what happened were kind of all over the place. So I won't get into that because I just couldn't tell what was factual. Yeah. A lot of it seemed kind of urban legendish. Jump ahead 100 years to 1979. While doing restorations on the house, Ed Duffy discovered an old trunk behind a false wall.
0: Hmm. Suspicious.
1: Yes. But the trunk contained May's belongings. Oh. It is not known if one or both of the parents packed her belongings in the trunk and sealed it behind the wall. But the trunk currently resides at the Sacramento History Museum. Hmm. The museum says there were nearly 600 items in the trunk, although only a fraction of them are on display.
0: Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Especially for back then.
1: Yeah, well, apparently it was everything that she owned. It said that it contained petticoats, Christmas tree ornaments, leather gloves, marbles, buttons, spools of thread, sewing kit, locks of hair, drawings she did, and her diary. Oh. Yeah.
0: A diary that young? Twelve. Oh, what else do you
1: have to do in 1879? <laughs> that's
0: true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are reports of people seeing her at her grave, and people leave small toys and trinkets for May. Aww. And some people say that if you place your hand on her grave, you may feel her presence. There was one article that talked about strange... Things happening in the house after the trunk was found. Yeah. But I could not find any other sources to back that up. So either they clammed up about what was going on or it was just rumors. Yeah. One writer who researched the story speculated that if there was anything supernatural going on in the house, it could also have been May's mother who died in the home. On February 19,
0: 1895. But that was it. It's sad.
1: Yes. Very bizarre, though.
0: It's also bizarre... I mean, I get, like, the story and stuff, but that you're popular after death for someone to visit your grave.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's sad, but it's also fascinating that she's still known today... Yeah. ...because they put her trunk in that wall. Yeah. And... People come to see her grave.
0: Yeah. It's interesting.
1: What? That's all I have. Got anything? More? I don't think
0: so. All or right.
1: what? I added on more. Do you have anything more? Oh. Because you I already said... had something, so. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> think so. All right. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12past3 or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night.